0: Hello, Cyberpunks. I'm your host, Brendan Lupus Damon Sandifer, and welcome to our Cyberpunk podcast where we discuss various cyberpunk media. With me today, we have Barry.
1: Things seem to be recording just fine. Hello.
0: Graham. Who may or may not be muted. He is. Yes. Okay. Melody. Howdy. Randy. Hello and west howdy all right so today we are discussing bubblegum crisis an eight episode anime series set in 2032 that ran from 1987 to 1991 as always we ask that if you're able watch it and then watch this to support the creators of both Otherwise, you can just listen to our plot summary.
1: Spoiler Um, alert! Yeah.
0: So, the series begins in late 2032, seven years after the second Great Kanto earthquake that has split up Tokyo geographically and culturally in two. During the first episode, disparities in wealth are shown to be more pronounced than in previous periods in
2: post-war Japan.
0: The main adversary is Genom.
2: Genom. Thank you.
0: Genom. A megacorporation with immense power and global influence. Its main product are boomers. Not those boomers instead they're artificial cybernetic life forms that are usually in the form of humans with most of their bodies being machine they're also known as cyberoids which i thought was actually like a cybernetic form of steroid but apparently i was wrong um while boomers are intended to serve mankind they become deadly instruments in the hands of ruthless individuals huh Uh, go figure boomers and becoming deadly in the hands of the wrong people, certain individuals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. The AD police are tasked to deal with boomer-related crimes. One of the series' themes is, an, is the inability of the department to deal with the threat due to political infighting, red tape, and an insufficient budget.
2: That, yeah. Um. And that's
0: about all I could find for the plot of
2: yeah. Boomers Crisis. Yeah, that is woefully inaccurate because it doesn't even tell you who the focus is. The focus is on the Nightsavers, which is a group of mercenary vigilantes that deal with the Boomers. Their um, their equipment is more advanced than what the military has. And as the series progresses, the battles become more and more personal to them as people around them get killed. Um,
0: I was going to go into some of that in our fun facts, but please continue.
2: <laughs> as uh, basically, as Genom becomes more and more involved, it's basically turns into Night Sabers versus Genom versus 80 police. Um, with mostly the eighty police being on the sideline. But, yeah, if you have fun facts, go for it.
0: All right, so since that plot summary was super short, I figured I'd throw in some fun facts just for a little bit of...
3: Hicks and grins. Uh,
0: yeah. So, fun fact number one. This anime's influences were Blade Runner, Streets of Fire, Terminator... And if specifically pertaining to boomers, the beast from the movie Kroll.
2: Yeah. That is, um, defi- that is definitely true.
0: Yeah. Episodes 5 and 6 take the Blade Runner resemblance to the breaking point and feature the exact same story. With some of the scenes copied almost verbatim. And even some of uh, Vangelis' score is
2: stolen. I wouldn't notice so much of the latter. It's more like an homage to, but yeah. Uh,
0: the series was originally planned, according to some sources, to be 13 episodes long. That is correct. However, due to contractual obligations, specifically with, uh, for Kanuko Omori, who played the Seiju, Uh, Chris's character was originally written to be killed during episode 6, Red Eyes, but Mrs. Omori's contract was extended. The heavy being Chris receives in the episode is mostly from the original plans for Chris to be killed off from the series, and, well, obviously that didn't happen. Uh, this would have also changed the episode, uh, Double Vision, which is episode 7 as it has as it rumored that vision would have taken priss's place among among the night sabers and in fact in episode 8 scoop chase a clip of robocop of a robocop like spoof shown during the episode shows a brief glimpse of vision in the hard suit she would have worn uh the series was canceled after 8 episodes though Sources do say that Bubblegum Crash, which we might get into in a future episode, uh, was a compilation of the events planned in those last five episodes.
2: It is. Uh, um, I can go into detail behind that. Um, Why don't
0: you do that? Go ahead.
2: Okay, so Bubblegum Crisis was created as a collaborative effort between three companies. The primary two is a company called Artimax and a company called Yomex. Both of them hired AIC to do the animation work. However, mm-hmm. during the process, Artemex borrowed money from Yomex and then defaulted on the loan, which caused a lot of bad blood between the two companies. And because of this difference, um, Bubblegum, uh, the two companies split, argued over the license, and just terminated the project between episodes eight and nine. Probably at the rate they were going, Bubblegum Crisis would have lasted until about 93, maybe 94 with them coming out with approximately one OAV a year. Um, One to two. And uh, because of it, they just t- ended the project. Mm-hmm.
1: Yomex,
2: or excuse me, Artemex, then proceeded to scrape together enough money to fund Bubblegum Crash, which was going to be the five episodes that never got aired. Um, after it started, Yomex then proceeded to sue Artemex, and they had to stop production after the third episode. And the rights became uh, legal hell until both companies died around 97, 98, and were both absorbed into AIC. So that's why Bubblegum Crisis is only eight episodes instead of 13, and where Crash came from.
0: All right, and that feeds into my next fact. Uh, The logo of AIC, the studio that animated uh, Bubblegum Crisis... Appears throughout the series as run. Mm. Uh, the logo even appears on Pris' motorcycle helmet in episode 2.
2: That... Uh, the the teams behind it, that, that was common practice for them. Um, Good to know. Uh, A few of the people that worked on this... Uh, would later go on to work on Tenchi Muyo. Mm, and they also cool. would tend to put the company that they were working for at the time... Which was pioneer. Also on logos of stuff while they were making Tenchi Muyo. It's just a habit of theirs. Also,
0: well, I th- find that really awesome.
2: Good. Actually, actually, if you don't mind me adding a fun fact of my own here, uh, one of the people that were was behind the creation of this is the actual creator of Tenchi Muyo. Hmm. And he actually created Tenchi Muyo as a counterpoint to Bubblegum Crisis, and the fact that Bubblegum Crisis <laughs> tends to be very grim, dark, and depressing. And he wanted to do more comedic stuff. So he literally created Tenchi Muyo as a lighter balance, if it was. And that the main character of Tenchi was based on the character Mackie from this.
0: Also, also, no wonder uh, it was so
3: much of a, like a comical, uh, or a, more like a rom-com anime.
2: They wanted to make more rom-com style stuff in this, and the heads came down and said nope. All
0: right. So, so. um, fun fact number five: character designer Kenichi Sonata uh, left the series around episode 5, and artists Satoshi Arushihara and Hiroaki Goda took over the character design duties. Tanada, however, would re- eventually return to art and make him um, work on episode 8. So he, he left for about, roughly two years.
2: <laughs> yeah, he probably had another project he was working on. Two episodes.
0: On. <laughs> um... Okay, I'll open the window. Thank you for letting me know. Um, so, in episode one, an 80 police officer is uh, looking at a boomer through the HUD display on his helmet. Messages written in English flash on the HUD, uh, and on the lower left hand of the screen, you can see King of Beer, Budweiser. <laughs> And on no, the upper nice. right hand corner, there is St. Louis, Missouri, USA. Right. Jan Heiser Bush. St. Louis,
3: Missouri.
2: <laughs> why ask why? That's on his HUD?
3: Yes. <laughs> I,
2: ne- I never noticed that one. I'm going to have to rewatch that because that's got to be in the opening like 10, 15 minutes. Hey, why ask why? Seriously.
3: Try Bud Dry.
2: <laughs> um, of course, this is back in the day where, you know. Japanese to English and back and forth was pretty badly translated.
0: (laughs) Yes. And it very well could have been a Japanese advertisement for something (laughs) that um, when it switched over it got dubbed uh, uh, Budweiser Product Placement. Yeah, thinking about it, it it's probably like, oh, hey, there's an ad for something you can only get in Japan. Let's change it to something that you can get here. Like a jelly donut. (laughs) Uh, but anyway so we're moving on with uh, fun fact number seven when Sylvia whacked with a newspaper for ogling at her cleavage the Japanese words ecchi and uh, sukube (laughs) flash on the screen for a 30th of a second both words can mean pervert (laughs) yep I just thought that was fun yeah And then uh, in episode 8, or not episode 8, in Revenge Road, Road, fun fact number 8. In Revenge Road, Pris's display shows the name Madonna and lists some of her singles. Mm. (laughs) Um, That's all the fun facts I have at this point.
2: I got one more. Go ahead. Going back to episode 1, about halfway through the episode... Um, It shows this panoramic street display with all these big, like, neon signs or a big, uh, like, uh, LCD uh, screens Mm -hmm. above stuff. And as it scrolls, one of the main ones that you can see briefly changes to a picture of Panthro from the Thundercats.
3: (laughs) Nice. The
2: reason for this is the animation team that worked on this originally worked on the animation for Thundercats prior to this. And included it as a shout out to their previous work. <laughs> nice.
0: That is cool.
2: I remember first catching that around ninety eight on a on the on the DVD and went, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that gray face. <laughs> also, apparently Panthro was their favorite character. Yeah.
3: This surprises you how? hmm <laughs>
2: It didn't surprise me. Well, I mean, I was surprised to see suddenly Thundercats in the middle of my bubblegum crisis, but <laughs> I was just, once I found out the backstory behind it, I was just like, cool. <laughs> I um, liked to me. wasn't my favorite, but, you know, okay.
0: So shall we get on with my normal questions? Sure. All right. Uh, so first of all, is it Cyberpunk?
3: Hell yes. <laughs>
0: Going down the list here from, uh, Randy. Um, Barry, is it Cyberpunk?
1: Um, I'll go with Randy on this, because, uh, what little I've seen, it's been, like, ten years at least.
0: All right. Uh, Wes, is it Cyberpunk? Wes, are you even there? me and my mic, I'm back. Uh, oh, hey. Uh... Um, I would believe so. Yes. All right. Uh, Grim is typing, so I will let him type. He says yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Melody, is it cyberpunk? Sure as heck, sounds like it. And I will agree. Yes, it is cyberpunk. Uh, it is. It you know... is
2: almost the Japanese codifier for cyberpunk. <laughs>
0: exactly. So, did it add anything to the genre, Randy?
2: Oh, did it! (laughs) First of all, the concept of an advanced police department to take out heavyweight crimes is pretty much started with Bubblegum Crisis, and you see it in cyberpunk RPGs with the creation of Max Tech Mm. and everything. All of that stems from the eighty police. Uh, during the first episode, after Celia wakes up, she literally goes to her computer, types up, and it prints out her morning newspapers, <laughs> which is pretty much the birth of scream sheets, also seen in cyberpunk RPGs. And I'll remind you, this was being made in 86, 87, <laughs> mm-hmm. when all the rest of us could do at best is dial into a BBS. Yep. You had to know the phone number and everything. So they basically invented scream sheets they bas- they did that they basically uh created personal hard suits <laughs> um dear God, the list can go on and on and on and on um Tris is basically the original rocker girl mm. um. Celia herself could be seen as one of the original fixers, although that part is arguable. <laughs> it hell, Nene is one of the original cop characters um that we would see in other uh, cyberpunk stuff. It's God, I could keep going on. And on and
1: on. Of course. For good reason it deserves it. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, this, I mean, when uh, Mike Pondsmith created Cyberpunk 2013, I'm pretty sure it was just after the first time he had seen Bubblegum Crisis. (laughs) He had also then go on to uh, create Bubblegum Crisis, the role-playing game, using the same system as Cyberpunk. Um but so many elements of that was incorporated into the Cyberpunk twenty uh, thirteen and twenty twenty books that it's just impossible to split the two in my in my opinion. Uh, also, I believe in uh, Pondsmith's uh, list of things you should see to understand Cyberpunk better. He does include uh, mm. uh, bubblegum, bubblegum Crisis.
3: Um, anyone else got anything to add pertaining to does this uh, add cyberpunk? Other than it sure as heck seems like it. All right.
2: I think this this included the railgun, while the actual railguns we have today were still theoretical.
0: I believe you are correct. I know, um...
2: Oh, yeah. Also, Origin of the Orbital Kill Set. Hmm.
1: The
0: was his name?
1: I think the closest thing we had to railguns back in the 80s, even as a concept, was magnetic acceleration and stuff, which, uh, after each shot, had to
2: be reset. Mm-hmm and the ones that we have today are still huge, you know, yeah. massive things.
3: Oh yeah. Hmm. Uh what, don't don't they usually mount on the deck of a naval ship,
2: on a destroyer, yeah? And they're usually powerful enough they almost knock that destroyer over when they launch. <laughs>
3: Well, it tells you how much energy is being transferred.
2: It mm-hmm. uh-huh.
3: also goes to prove you—you you accelerate anything because what? What the projectiles for those things are? What less than? Oh, they're no, 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 less so. than hundred grams or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. I have no idea how big the Navy's uh, the railgun projectiles are. Um, but yeah. I have watched the pictures of the Destroyer launching them, and you actually see, I swear to God, the thing almost capsizes. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think they capsized a couple of ships in the making of the prototypes. Oh, whoops.
3: That really wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: Um, So, here's another fun fact before we wrap up. I know it's only like a 20-minute episode, but Like I said, there really wasn't much to... Go on? Yeah. Um, Kevin CMB Cmb... Mm -hmm. became aware of boomers being already in use. Uh, Specifically, boomers already being in use in um, bubblegum crisis. Which caused him to... Changed the his plan name for the Rifts RPG, uh, which he had named after the Boom Gun. Mm. Um, no, uh, the Boom Gun wielding power armor was called a Boomer, but he had to rename it Glitter to Boy. Glitter Boy.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: that was that was a fun RPG too. By the way,
2: yeah, it is.
1: Which, for anyone listening not familiar, glitter boy is not, you know, something effeminate sounding. It is because of the laser reflective coating on the giant mechanical suit.
0: I will say, not knowing what it was, it did sound effeminate. <laughs> yeah, but um, now that you explain it, it makes a lot
3: of sense.
2: Yes. Lo- love the world, hate the system. But that's just <laughs> me.
3: It was. It was. The, it was my first RP. So.
1: It was the first it, role-playing game I ever did myself.
2: Yeah, before that, I also did their uh, Heroes Unlimited and Aliens Unlimited. Mm. It's all the same system, but yeah, yeah. Palladium Palladium systems are, are really clunky.
1: There was a game I was once in where it was a Mech Warrior setting. I made an Aliens Unlimited character, and he he was the. Uh, Racial, no. The occupational, character, class of mind melter. I was allowed all three of those things on the same character.
2: Um, there's a couple of things I would like to point out as kind of fun facts. Um, okay. Uh, first of all, and one of this one's first one's obvious, and that is, of course, the character of one of the main characters, uh, Chris Asagiri is, of course, uh, the name itself is a reference to Pris from Blade Runner. Obviously. Mm-hmm. As is the name of her band, The Replicants. Ah.
3: That's a good one.
2: Um, That, but I would like to tack on to that, that the English voice actor was actually a singer and formed a temporary band called The Replicants to make the Bubblegums Crisis music. Nice. In English for the dub. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike its sequel series twenty forty where they were a voice actress first who they then decided to try to teach how to sing yeah. that oh, could
3: be interesting
2: it's not <laughs> here's a fun uh, fact
3: I said could be interesting not good yeah
2: whereas this one they're obviously they're they're obviously a good singer hmm.
0: um here's a fun fact for you uh duty roster that appears in episode eight. Reveals that the AD police apparently employed many of the artists who worked for Marvel Comics
2: in the nineteen eighties. Um, another one, uh, another little fact is the uh, is Leon's partner, Daily Wong, is one of the first openly gay characters in Japanese anime. Nice, cool. and um, is actually pretty authentic considering um, the first time I saw it, I'm like, wow, he acts just like my father's boyfriend. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Um, So Vampire Hunter D illustrator uh, Yoshitaka Amano was originally considered for the character designer position on Bubblegum Crisis but he turned it down because he didn't want to design mech.
2: Hmm. Well, there isn't much big-ass mech in Bubblegum Crisis. A lot of it seems to be more small, compact, uh, personal-powered armor and hard suits. Like I said, this really kind of developed the individual hard suits. If you've ever seen a picture of the Night Sabers that's are very sleek designed characters. Um Am I correct from last week that I am the only one that has actually seen this? I believe so. I mean if Yeah, you I,
1: I, I know I time.
3: haven't.
0: I can safely say I have not.
2: Here I have to, uh, trying to find them and trying not to find their, uh, their 20, their 2040 versions. Mm. Because there were some minor, uh... Differences? Minor, minor, minor differences, but yeah.
0: Um, the scene in episode 6 where Largo shoots Quincy and discovers that he's an android was a reference to the scene in Blade Runner, uh, which was scripted but not shot. After Roy killed Tyrell, he discovered that he was a replicant. The real Tyrell had been critically wounded in an accident and was in cryogenic suspension. Fun facts, people. Fun facts. Yep.
1: Whenever I see a scene like that, the first thing I think of is a uh, scene out of Alien.
3: What where the uh beastie comes out of the ge- out of the person's chest?
1: No, where they uh shoot Bishop and find out he's an android.
3: Ah. Oh.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, uh Sylvia's father in this anime uh Dr. Katsuhito Stingray
1: Mhm.
0: is named after series director Katsuhito Akiyama. Mhm. Oh.
2: I'm not sure if that particular name continues um, into uh, fully into lore. I know he's always just referred to as Dr. Stingray in most of the credits.
0: I could not tell you until later on, but eventually we will come back to Bubblegum Crisis. Um, as for that, we should probably go ahead and wrap this up okay uh so barry where can we find you
1: if you want more of me you can find me at k h z h a k on youtube twitch and twitter uh my youtube and twitch i don't really make much content myself look at the related channels and who i'm hosting and i try to uh like and retweet safe for work content on twitter but my pinned tweet is not safe for work who's next
2: All right. You can find me uh, with uh, Barry as well as our friends Aaron and Matt um, weekday on uh, usually on uh, Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays at 1130 a.m. Central on uh, Aaron and Matt's live streams as we usually play Borderlands and or Conan Exiles. It's going to be more Conan Exiles recently as well as Sunday nights at uh, 8 ish p.m when we usually do Lotro or Conan Exiles. Again, going to be more Conan Exiles recently. You can also find me Wednesday nights at 10ish p.m. Central for an earthly podcast, where we talk about all things Doctor Who.
3: All right, and Melody? Well, you can find me on YouTube at Melody's Place, uh, where you'll see some Minecraft content.
0: All right, so for... Our channel, uh, Generation Cyberpunk, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch by searching Gen Cyberpunk Pod. Uh, and our YouTube channel is Generation Cyberpunk. If you want to hear more from our group, please check out the Thanks for Nothing podcast on the FML Productions YouTube channel. We also do various DD campaigns on that channel and are in the process of making an anime ourselves. Uh we have just started the script writing process on that. If you want to donate to us, we do have a coffee link in the description of the Things for Nothing podcast. Donations are welcome, but by no means necessary. And uh, next week, we cover mirror shades, which is
3: a novel, so uh, until then, we will see you later, cyberpunks.